It's episode 38 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky, and joining me today are J.P. Breen and Ryan Topp. So uh, it won't be as annoying coming up watching a Brewer game because they won't have to be split on uh, alternate channels. Did oh, you see that last is, night? I Well, I was at the Jim Jeffrey show in Madison, so I did not see it. I heard of it and the disappointment that followed. That was a Boston beatdown. Was that... <laughs> Are we going with alliteration now? Yeah, we're going with an alliteration. The the Milwaukee Bucks uh, had a rough go of it. So, if the Milwaukee Bucks Boston beatdown. Yes. So, uh, if you're a Brewers fan and don't care about the Bucks, at least you don't have to go searching uh, which channel they're on from here on out. Well, that's not me. I don't know who that might be, but it's not me. You're a yeah. You're you're excited about the Bucks this year. You're following that. I have I have dipped my toe back into the water of the Bucks over the last few years. Yeah, JP. I don't know. Do you follow the NBA at all? Uh. Outside of ESPN and seeing some highlights, I, I do not. Okay, so you aren't you aren't a big Giannis fan? No, I Giannis is great. Giannis is a massive human uh, and can do things that uh, very few humans can do. And I tend to be a fan of, of watching that. And it's unfortunate that nobody's going to be able to watch that from here on out for the rest of the uh, playoffs. Mm-hmm. But people will get to watch Boston and their injured stars. I don't think you can watch their injured stars. I think they're all. I think their their star is uh, who's the who's the coach? Yes, yeah, Stevens, Brad Stevens. Brad Stevens. That's the star of the Celtics. So um, that is our basketball talk. So I hope everybody enjoyed that. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. We've we can check that off the list of things we've discussed now. We could. Oh, uh, I think you're obligated now to discuss some Liverpool. I mean. That's, oh, I was going to say no, no the the NFL draft. Oh yeah, that was happening. That was a thing. I was I, like. Uh, I was going to suggest that I had seen less, I don't know, consternation on Twitter about the Brewers, and I was trying to decide whether that was because it was happening during the the Bucks playoffs and during the NFL draft, so there were just fewer people watching games, or if it was because people were just depressed and, and didn't want to talk about it. It was attention had been diverted, I think. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, if, if you're going to play poorly, do it well. uh there's other stuff do it, on. Do it while the Packers are doing something. Yeah, exactly. That's well, what, or the Bucks, and you know, that's a way to catch some cover for everything at least. So, um, yeah, it was it was a busy sports week, not necessarily the greatest sports week. So, um, hey, you can help fans find the podcast by rating Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts and review it as well, because uh, some people are ch- attacking JP. Uh huh. In the, the defend reviews. his, defend Look, his honor. So go no, to, I was gonna, I was gonna say, if is it really attacking if they're just saying things that are true? I mean, he was saying you're smart and you dismiss people with dumb opinions, and apparently right. that's a thing we don't want to hear anymore in this day. Well, and age. no, I'm definitely not smart, but he is correct that in general, people make me mad. So that's that's probably right. Yeah. So and you hate things, uh, but not our listeners. We don't hate our listeners. So uh, go and, uh, yeah, review us on whatever podcast place you listen. And uh, you can also ask questions. Follow us on Twitter for that. Um, You can email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter, and you'll find that on the at MKE Tailgate Twitter uh, bio. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit patreon.com slash MKE Tailgate. Our ball and glove patrons receive the monthly minor league extra podcast, and that's coming up here pretty soon. Yes, this week, in fact. So send your questions in. I will put up a, a request for questions sometime early this week and make sure you get them in because you're going to drive our show like always. So, yeah. Uh, Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing. From Dragon Flute to Block Party to Fantasy Factory IPA, K4 spe- specializes in English style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades, which we're drinking the Martian Sunrise. I'd call it a hop grenade. That is, it's a red India uh, pale ale IPA hop grenade. Yes, it's, and it's fantastic. I really like it. I think the untapped score of, I think it was 3.77 was very unfairly low. Yeah. So I rated it higher. Go go check that one out. Uh, on May 3rd, Carbon 4 hosts a Common Thread release party. This year's beer is an American pale lager, and it'll be available when the doors open at 11 a.m. Common Thread beers are a collabora- collaboration with other Wisconsin brewers, and proceeds from the event are donated to the Wisconsin Brewers Guild. It's a great way to celebrate Craft Beer Week, so head over to Carbon 4's tap room on Kinsman Boulevard on Madison's east side, or check out carbon4.com for more information. Carbon 4, beer brilliance. 
Milwaukee's Tailgate is also sponsored in part by Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV shows. And if you're looking to create a professional-sounding podcast, check out the MixPre 3 and MixPre 6. For more information, visit sounddevices.com. Okay, so the week started out well. Uh, they, they played a couple games in Kansas City. They had a short American League, uh, interleague series, and the Brewers got a sweep. Yes, I love the two-game sweep. The two-game sweep. Well, when it's two games, it feels like it's either going to be a fantastic sweep. You're either just kind of like disappointed or, you know, there isn't really kind of that medium place where they can drop a game and it's all right. Sure, especially when you're playing one of the worst teams in baseball. But they got to see some friends. They get to see friends, yeah. Like, Lorenzo Cain got louder applause than any uh, Royal who did anything in that series. Yeah, and he, uh, was it his first at-bat? He had a home run in the first game. He had a home run, yeah. He did hit a home run in the first game. So he had a triumphant return. Um, I think what Steve was actually trying to mention, though, when he said we got to see friends, was we got to see Ned. We did. Oh, Ned. That, that is what I was getting at. I know Lorenzo Cain saw people from Kansas City. He knows. We don't know anyone from Kansas City. But we know Ned. I mean, I yeah, I was in Kansas City. You were. Did you see? Did you see the uh, eclipse? No, I didn't. Yeah, I don't know. Did you see the? Uh, uh, there was some quote that Ned was saying in order to shake up the offense. Dale's fame had recommended putting uh, LCD's Escobar up at the leadoff spot, but Ned said that he had tried to resist that temptation thus far. I just like that he was still tempted. That it was a temptation. <laughs> that there was there was a part of him that thought, you know, maybe there's a merit to this. Uh, Crazy plan. Hey, to be fair to Ned, he this morning um, didn't exactly support his catcher's stupidity about uh, beaning other batters because they were uh, showing them up with celebrations. So there was some stuff going on with Kansas City where they had they plunked, I think it was Tim Anderson because he celebrated a homer the night before, and Perez was all mad about it, and Yost was asked to comment on it before the game today, and he basically didn't support Perez. I mean, he didn't bash him, but he... He kind of hung him out to dry a little bit, basically saying, I like fun. I think that we should have fun in baseball. So, yeah. Sal Perez says that you're not allowed to have fun in baseball and you can't get really excited unless you have experienced the excitement of winning a World Series. And that then was, you know what, and then you know what merits excitement. Because that was if you my have favorite won part. the World Series, then you know that just some random home run in April doesn't merit getting excited about. Yeah, that was my favorite part of that whole thing. And I really, really, really like the fact that, like, now that we know when Yadier Molina is finally put out to pasture, that there will be somebody in the, the great state of Missouri to protect the integrity of the game from the catcher position. Are like, they going to say when, that. when Yadier retires, baseball can be fun again? He, well, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, so there's, there is a protector of baseball. There is always a black hat out there ready to take somebody down when they have too much fun. Right, yeah. Well, unless it's unless it's the Cardinals doing something fun, in which case, then yeah, daddy's cool with that. But uh, yeah. So, anyways, the Brewers took two in Kansas City. Do we want to talk about that the entire time, or do we want to? I mean, the Kansas City series. So there are a couple things worth noting about that series. One, it was cool to see the DH because this team is particularly set up right now to have a DH. Like, if we had a DH on a daily basis, we would be able to fill that DH spot well on a rotating basis with a cast of you know, characters, especially before the unfortunateness. We'll get to that later. But that was nice to see. Um, and also, I thought that in the game where Hater was used to get the last couple outs of the eighth inning on, what was that, Wednesday night before they went to Chicago? Hater was used to get the last couple outs of the eighth inning when they had runners on and there was, I don't know if they were, if the bases were loaded or I think they might have been loaded. But they they used Hater in that position to get out of that inning and then were able with a four-run lead to go to Taylor Williams in the ninth. And that was perfect. That's exactly what you want to do and exactly why Josh Hader should not be in the ninth inning and why he should be used as he is now to well, attack situations. It, yes. It's not that he shouldn't be used in the ninth inning. He should be used in a spot that's most necessary because he's he's done the eighth and ninth inning thing. So, I mean, he's gotten his saves. Sure, when he yeah, when he goes out and like kills it in the eighth inning and barely throws any pitches, yeah, send him back out for the ninth. You know, go ahead and do that. I mean, he can he can also be in the ninth though when the lineup 
merits it, right? Like if if the eighth inning is seven eight nine and and the ninth inning starts one two three in the lineup, absolutely send him out for the ninth if it's a safe situation, right? Just not sure. because it's a preordained spot in which your best reliever is going to be there. It's because the lineup and the situation line up perfectly, right? Yeah, exactly. We use him to attack the situation and the high leverage situation as opposed to just be dedicated to a certain inning. It was a perfect example of why that's great. So, Yeah, so I, do you think the Brewers ate too much when they were in Kansas City? Because they looked a little sluggish by the time they got to Chicago. The barbecue there is good. It, yeah, but I mean, maybe they had too much of it. I mean, the, this Chicago series has been very weird. Like, it's been played in very cold conditions for the most part, very extremely windy conditions. And, you know, you've got two teams that have been relatively evenly matched in the series, but every 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 time a, a play got made in an important situation, the Cubs were the ones making it. Yeah, no, it, it's amazing. They looked like two, you know, the Brewers didn't look overmatched in any of these games. No. And they somehow managed to lose all four games. Yeah, I mean, they lost the games by a total of four games by a total of seven runs. Because they lost three nothing, and today they lost by two. But the first two were one-run games. So Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a, a pretty thin margin for a sweep like that. JP, what, what did you see in Chicago that, that seemed to be the biggest issue for the Brewers? Uh, I... For myself, I'm actually I think the Cubs bullpen is better than I gave him credit for coming into the year. I maybe I just didn't see Brandon Morrow enough, but um I didn't realize that he is pumping ninety nine miles an hour with regularity now. Which uh, Carl Edwards Jr. is I think one of the more underrated relievers in, in the NL, much less the NL Central. So the fact that they don't need to use him in the ninth inning because they've got somebody like they've got somebody like Morrow, I think benefits them greatly and then you've still got the pedro strops of the world you've still got um you've still got brian dunsing who can get the job done as a lefty and i just think that their bullpen which i was really skeptical about coming into the year because way davis was gone and what was it going to look like um but i think that their bullpen is is much much better than than i thought and you see that at the end of the games when when you know the starter leaves, and as long as they don't bring Steve uh, Sishek out, uh, who's not any good, um, as long as they don't bring him out, they have a lot of arms that they can really lock down the the latter part of the um, latter part of the innings down. And I think that the the offense really showed that, where they really struggled to put together some rallies late on, even earlier in the series when they struggled against some of the starters or they couldn't push any runs across. They were still getting runners on base, but that changed a lot once they started to get into the bullpens, especially the back ends of them. Well, and I think the lineups for the Brewers and Cubs right now are in kind of a similar place where they have some important guys who've not got going yet. Anthony Rizzo's really struggled so far. Uh, Bryant's been okay, but had been in and out of the lineup, missed the first couple games of the series after taking one to the head. Yeah, Bryant was more of an injury issue. When he's been in the lineup, he's been fine. He's been fine, yeah. But, I mean, Baez has been really good for them so far this year. Baez has been nuts. Yeah. Coming into the series, he'd been just killing it so but their offense has kind of had the same issues the brewers have had where they've had guys who are really really off to slow starts and it's keeping them from hitting on all cylinders so they're still trying to find their their way too which is why it's so frustrating that the brewers drop four right i mean even just even just a 3-1 series here is a lot better off than a four game sweep i mean ultimately this this will matter you know, maybe it matters in the division race down the road. Well, you know, I, I I know that we like to say every game, you know, is the same in 162 or counts the same. But there is something about dropping games against teams in your division that you're competing against because the Brewers get back up to, you know, mid 80 wins late in the season and they're trying to catch the Cubs. Well, you look back when they had a head to head shot against him to drop those games. It makes a big difference. If you beat those teams you're directly competing against in the division head-to-head, you're going to give yourself a better chance to uh, basically win a division late in the season. And this goes back to last the last series against the Cubs last September where everything has been kind of razor-thin margins. Um, they did The Cubs did, in that first series at Miller Park this year, put some runs on the Brewers in a couple games. So it, it hasn't all been razor-thin margins, but it's been very small differences that have you know, that have been the difference between these two clubs over most of the games they've played uh, 
you know, recently. So it's frustrating because it's the Cubs, but that, yeah, that's the biggest thing. I mean, you, you never like losing games to, to, to those guys. It's just not. No, I mean, what are you attributing this to though? Is it just, is it luck? Is it variance? Is it the Cubs are better than we thought? I mean, like, what is it that you think is, because a lot of people have said that they think the Brewers have been really tight and they've been pressing far, far too hard. Well, I think it's, you know, you have a razor thin margin against a team that is just a little bit better. Yeah. And I think that's, the, I think that's the, case. and then the Brewers the Cubs I mean, that, are a little bit better. That Saturday game, the Brewers were a clown show in the field. Yeah. I mean, and I understand that, that conditions were difficult, but both teams were playing in the same conditions and the Cubs made the plays and the Brewers didn't exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, and that's what people are looking towards to say that, they're pressing too hard. They're making mistakes in the field. They're trying. I mean, and we saw that in the first. But we they've saw been, that in the first series at Miller Park, though, too. But they they've been, yeah, around, I was going to say they've been making field. a lot of mistakes in the field. So it's not like, oh, just against the Cubs, they're making mistakes in the field. Oh, absolutely. Right. And I'm not necessarily saying this is this is something I buy, but this is something that we've been seeing a lot. Um, and because the problem for me, then, is is if, you know, the Cubs are in the Brewers head or. <laughs> They're pressing too hard or whatever it is. Um, you know, why is it that the pitching staff seems to not really? Well, they're only in like, the heads why, of the hitters. They're yeah, I mean, they're they're all, the, the, the pitching staff seems to be great, um, again, uh, aside from a couple of games in the first series. But, I mean, the pitching staff was pretty much lights out throughout the entire series. I will say Yelich, you know, after coming back hot for the first, you know, couple of games when he returned from the DL, I think he was like 0 for 12 over 16 at some he point. was inches from a grand slam in this series well in, but the, on friday I mean, he, it was, he was but he was also and i mean he had getting a couple, into the teeth of the wind he had a couple balls that he struck that went right to guys in the outfield but he had a rough series yeah i mean and that didn't help on base he, some it didn't help because he had some opportunities yeah he did and but over the course of a season, I, I do not buy this idea that the Cubs are going. I'm not claiming that Christian Yelich is now somebody that can't hit. I'm just saying this particular series was rough for him. I mean, it was rough for pretty much everybody on the team. I don't think anybody really came away. Oh, hitting wise, they didn't really come away with good series. So, um, but no, I mean, remember last year when the Brewers, the narrative of the early season was the exact reverse of this, where the Brewers could beat the good teams. They were going out and having success against the Cardinals and Cubs early in the year, and then they would play the Reds, and they would get swept. And that was what was driving people nuts, you know, at this time last year was the I think complete... it was the curse of uh, Scooter Jeanette last year. Yes, it was, the, it was the reverse of this last year. So I don't buy that there's that they're they're in their heads or something like that. I mean, this was it was a it was a tough series played in tough conditions that the Cubs are more used to playing in than the Brewers are. I mean, that's they're more used to playing in these extreme windy sun field conditions. The Brewers don't have that experience. The Is there way. some wind in that city that they experience that they'd get used to this? I believe it comes in off the lake, Steve. Yeah. So, hey, JP, I, it was it was odd watching this series. Uh, Joe Madden was out like visiting the mound all the time, making pitching changes. Were we seeing a bit of a ph philosophical difference uh, between Council and Madden? Yeah, Madden always manages it pretty closely, though. I mean, I don't. I mean, I take the point, and I think that it is interesting to see. You know, two managers have vastly different ways of managing a pitching staff, but um, I think this is kind of who Joe Madden has always been, though. Sure, I'm just I'm curious to see if we're at a point where we're seeing a split. You know, because it tends to be somebody does something different, everybody you know runs mm -hmm. and catches up, and then you know eventually you get another split when somebody kind of figures out a new way to to go about lineups or managing or whatever. And I, I'm yeah. just curious if we're seeing that a little bit. Not like obviously it worked for the Cubs. I'm not going to say that, like, you know, one way or right. the other is the way it has to be done, but... Um, right. Well, I think you also need to be in a in a position where your bullpen not only it has a spring training to expect this kind of usage, but you also have to have the personnel to be able to get it done, right? You have to have the personnel that, in the Brewers' case, is actually a lot of former starters that have, you know, whether it's Taylor Williams, whether it's Hayter... Um, and well, I suppose Jacob Barnes wasn't necessarily a starter, but in the minors, the Brewers use their their relievers regularly to go multiple innings, and so a lot of the young relievers coming up through the Brewers system are used to being able to do that. So I, I do wonder if it has something to do a little bit with how the Brewers have been able to 
prepare their their bullpen to be able to to be used in the way that they have. Um, they have a lot of young guys. They don't really have a lot of old, older older guys that I think have had things ingrained into them, I suppose, because the older pitchers like Matt Albers is somebody that hasn't been going two innings very often. I think he's done it once or twice, but in general, he's been kind of used pretty sparingly. Jeremy Jeffress is kind of a fire is a fireman that's brought in, not generally for multiple innings, but it's the younger guys and the former starters that are being able to be regularly used for a couple of innings. Yeah, they really test Jeffress. I swear they they try to see what kind of horrible situation they can put him in uh-huh. and whether or not he can get out of it. Yeah. No, they it is and so far so good. He's gotten out of basically all of them. I mean, he just there have been some Houdini acts. Literally, yeah, there was he was the one involved in the Houdini at uh was that Kansas City? No, it was against the Marlins, maybe. Where, yeah, the bases were loaded and like nobody was out or something like that. Yeah. And he and he loves it too. You can tell he absolutely just thrives in the situation where he needs to buckle down and come into the game. Um and I think if you're looking at one of the reasons why the Brewers were able to put together their long win streak, what was it, eight games in a row? Yeah, they had they had an eight game winning streak. And the the eight game win streak pretty much coincided with the amount of time that the bullpen didn't give up a single run. It's it's and, amazing what a good bullpen can do. Well, and it's a bullpen that allows you to win more close games and out and kind of outperform your run differential, right? I mean, we said this is what we talked about with you know the Orioles. We talked about it with the Royals. We t- said that this is pretty much what the the Rockies are trying to do, and why so many teams across baseball are targeting the elite relievers because that's how you outperform your run differential. And the Brewers were able to do that, um, but I think they kind of ran into a spot. And I mean, not to completely go off the rails, but I think the Cubs series for me has shown what I think has been hiding in plain sight for the last couple of weeks. And and it's not anything that's overly surprising, but the the Brewers like the Brewers have some guys in in key spots that have just been pretty bad offensively, right? I mean, Domingo Santana has been poor, Orlando RC has been poor, the catching position outside of Manny Pena a little bit has been has been poor. Jet Bandy is has not been able to really turn it around. Second base has not been good, and. That is a lot of holes in your lineup that puts a lot of pressure on pretty much your top four guys in the lineup to get everything done. And that's something where the Brewers are going to have to hope these guys start turning it around. And obviously they've got the track record or the skills to be able to do it. But when you're on an extended period in which they don't, and then suddenly you have a series in which the four guys that you've been completely relying upon to be able to carry your offense struggle, you don't score. Ryan, anything yeah, yet? no, I mean no. that's it, it's hard <laughs> you to hit watch. the nail on the head. I yeah. mean that's it is difficult, but and there there have been there have been some guys. You know, we have a bunch of you know when's Eric Sogard basically going to get off the team? Yeah, basically just completely get dumped. When's uh, Dubon going to get called up? Um, you know that kind of but stuff. But then, but even then, like Dubon is not like an offensive juggernaut, right? Like he's no. just somebody that you hope he can come in and be. He's not, but play, Sogard. Right? Well, Sogard made some boneheaded plays. I think he made one in the Friday game um, yeah, against the Cubs. Was, he made a, a really was, poor play. So then, all of a sudden, yeah. you say, "Well, Dubon's a guy who can a great glove." You know, if he can't hit, Sogard's not hitting either. At least bring up the guy who can play defense. Right. I well, think Dubon has a higher ceiling defensively than But Sogard. I suppose then what's the conversation then about Aaron Perez if he's not hitting and not playing well defensively? Yeah, I mean, both of them are I thought you were going to say put him in left field for a little bit to boost that uh, defensive <laughs> sa- run <laughs> save. To make, to make his UZR more attractive? Yeah, I think at least with, with Perez, we've seen him be a decent hitter in the big leagues at a, at a higher but level than what we've seen out of Sogard. But um, in 2016, I mean, his, sure. But I mean, his career uh, weighted runs created is like, I think 80. Sure. I mean, he's like for his career, he's like 20 percent below league average with the bat, and that's like still like 15, 20 points higher than the Sogard. Oh no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not getting in like some 
weird argument about whether or not Sogard or Perez are better hitters because that's not a, I don't think either of us want to win that argument. No. Um, but it's if you do have then those two guys, Dubon seems to be the only person that you could say can come up and, and kind of be a utility guy. What do you do when you have both of your utility guys really struggling? I mean, is that when like guys like Nate Orff start to get a lot more attention? Is this something in which you're going to try to bring in another outfielder? And then Domingo Santana's not hitting well, so you're going to try to manipulate that. You try to bring in G-Man Choi. Like, there are a lot of there are a lot of holes in the roster. Then, if VR doesn't improve, you've got question marks, and there are a lot of things that you need to start worrying about. Yeah, we do have a, a Patreon question from Scott Mullen where he basically asks: Is there an immediate personnel change that needs to be made? Um. Well. <laughs> Uh, there's an immediate personal change coming. There, well, yes, there, this is a separate one that's coming up with uh, Wade Miley. But what we're talking about with some of these position players who are underperforming, do they need? Do, do you think the front office is looking and saying we need to just make a move now because this isn't going to improve? No, I don't think that's how they operate. I don't think that that's the the thought process. Um, I imagine that they're they're moving closer to that point with both Perez and Sogard in on some level that they're, they're headed that direction, but they take the long view as you have to. And as you should, as a baseball team, you can't overreact to, to the, the momentary ups But and do downs. you need the long view when you're talking about Sogard? Well, I mean, how long a view do you need to make a determination on Eric Sogard? Who's he's signed to a one-year deal. Yes. He's not expensive. No. but And he's not playing particularly well. No, but look, if Orlando Arcia had gotten seriously hurt last week, which we thought was the case, we thought that he was in serious trouble. I thought they are going to have to take that foot. <laughs> um, so, we, you know, it looked like that's the case. So what happens then if, if he goes down for an extended period of time? Well, Dubon would have been the guy who would come up at that point. So then, if you've gotten rid of Sogard, who's the depth behind it? Well, you still have VR and you have Perez. I'm not saying it's a great it's situation, but you don't look at that and say, well, Sogard is you know, eventually going to solve the problem if second base between VR and Perez isn't you know, carrying its weight. No, I, but they're going to, and I think there's, there's logic in it, try to see if they can get something out of Sogard before they completely cut bait on him. And I don't know that they, we would have to you know, be involved in internal discussions with them to know, are there still things they're looking at that they want to see from Dubon before they give him the, the call? Because, mm -hmm. you know, Dubon isn't, we're, we're all talking about Dubon like he's, you know, uh, some sort of guarantee. Well, hold on, and hold like, on, hold on. JP, is there a timeline for, for Dubon? I assumed that Dubon was going to be up mid-May. So I, if all things were created equal, I think he was going to be up mid-May anyway. So this early season struggle by a lot of the guys you were relying on to be producers at second base might force their hand a little bit earlier. Because the other problem is, is that Orlando Arcia hasn't been very good. And I know that defensively he's quality and you're not looking to kind of replace him. But if you get a bat up there that, like if Mauricio Dubon is going to hit, I don't know, two, like he could hit 275 with some doubles, that would look quite good right now. And you could then potentially spare uh, Orlando Arcia on some days as well so he doesn't have to keep grinding every single day if his, if his timing isn't right. And Dubon would give you a credible uh, defensive replacement at second base too for late game situations with getting VR out of there, so... Right. There's that, I mean, there's that advantage as well. I, I understand the Dubon point, but I suppose to your question about whether or not there needs to be uh, an immediate move, I'd, I, I would honestly look at bringing up either Keon Broxton or, or Brett Phillips. I mean, now that Eric Thames is going to be on the DL for six to eight weeks and Ryan Braun potentially is going to be playing more games at first base again – the whole argument on that was, that's great. It gives you more space for Domingo Santana, but Domingo Santana is somebody whose OPS right now, I believe, is under 600. Oof, and yeah. and that's not 
that's not somebody in which right now you're trying to create space for. And I get that you still need to let him work through the issues, not suggesting that you throw in the towel. But if you've got somebody like Keon Broxton or Brett Phillips, Keon Broxton's been hitting the ball really well. And I know that it's it's Colorado Springs, but we've seen it last year that he can bring up that confidence right away and kind of turn it over to the big leagues before he goes on an extended, you know, rough streak. But you can try to play with that a little bit. And I would like to be able to see another outfielder come up because right now I don't think the the Brewers need more of the Mauricio Dubon, you know, VR, Aaron Perez, and then Eric Sogard type. I don't think that that's a situation where that needs to be. So do you think that it's because of Santana's struggles, it's more likely to call up an outfielder than G-Man Choi to basically step into that Eric Thames position? Because Thames had his surgery this week. He's out six to eight weeks at mm-hmm. least. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's fair too. I mean, that's something that you can absolutely do. And then I suppose then you're just saying that Eric, that Ryan Braun's going to be playing much more offense than first base. Yeah. I think that that's a, a plausible solution as well. Ryan, do you have a preference on either of those? Uh, I don't, at this point, I would like to see Keon Broxton back up in the big leagues to get, because Phillips has been the first call up. I know, and there is there is a, a very good case to be made that Phillips should come up because with Thames out, they're short a bench off or bat off the bench, a left-handed bat. Like they need a little bit of lefty power. They're they're down to just really in terms of left-handed power, it's just Shaw and uh and Yelich at this point. So they're a little bit short on that, and I guess you could include VR in there if he were to start hitting for some power again. I mean, they've, they've had a few guys. VR has hit for no power. Santana's hit for no power. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously Sogard never hits for power, except for, like, the first two games he gets called up with the Brewers last season. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, they have, they, have some, they have some power that I think people expect, and uh, I don't know. Maybe it's just how cold it's been this spring. I mean... It, Let's not discount that. That's, I think that you will see. Yeah, it's not like the Cubs were killing the ball. No, they weren't. I mean, this was this was a series. Was there a I think home run hit Schwarber, in the series? Schwarber hit one. Oh, Schwarber did. Schwarber, but hit, Schwarber one could hit one. Schwarber could hit one in any condition. And it was a low line drive. Right. That was you know I don't think anybody who got the ball in the air. Yes. Reminded me of the Jeremy Burnett home run that yes, we saw in we, person yeah, there, which was over a decade ago. Yeah, 2005, we saw that game where Burnett's, it was a one nothing win by the Cubs, and he hit it right into the teeth of the wind, and we're still confused, as, to dead center. Still yeah. confused how that one went out. Yeah. It and, was, like, that was... But that was the only way to get a ball out of the, the park yeah. this, this weekend. Yeah, no, you weren't going to get baseballs out. And, like, Schwarber was one of the few guys. Like, Thames, honestly, if, you know, Thames isn't hurt... He could have been a guy who would rocket one out in those kind of conditions. Like he has the the raw power to be able to do that. But yeah, but the Brewers have multiple guys who have the raw power to do that. I mean, Braun does, Shaw does. I think Aguilar certainly does. Shaw looked like he had one. What was that Thursday night? Yeah, Shaw had the one Thursday night. Yelich, I that one. I still don't know how that wasn't a grand slam. Yeah, Shaw Shaw looked like if it would have been any other time of year, he would have won a game on Thursday night. Yelich I mean, looked like he was going to have a grand slam on Friday afternoon. Yelich hit that 100 feet in the air. How are you surprised that that didn't go out? Oh, no. I'm just saying that on any other day, because he absolutely crushed the ball, and it but got any right into the teeth of the, of the wind. Any other day in this series, it also wouldn't have gone out. Sure. If... Yes. It's like, but it's Chicago. Like that—that's going to happen. Yes, April and April and May, that park plays as one of the best pitcher parks in baseball. And then June to like I don't know September, like that place plays as one of the like purest hitting parks, just because everything flies out of that place with the wind blowing out. It's mostly because, like April, April, and then probably halfway through May, Chicago as a whole is kind of just shit. Well, like it's just like I mean, we could make a case for longer than that. I was going to say there are twelve months in a year, and I think they uh, <laughs> they fulfill that for the majority of that time. It's great I if meant, it's not for the I people. Meant, yeah, I meant, <laughs> I meant, I meant somebody who, who had lived there in April and May. It's windy every day, and and they're like, "We're looking, let's go to the baseball game," and you're like, "No, that, that seems awful." 
They're like, we'll just we'll just stuff our face with sausage and drink old style, and it'll be well. Great. That's not really a thing we as Milwaukeeans can like throw in their no. face. <laughs> Stuffing faces with sausage. I think eh, I was yeah. gonna say that that part actually would be far more enjoyable. We wouldn't drink the old style though. God no. forbid. No, I mean, so um, the it does bre- come from Wisconsin though. Well, it used to. Well, yeah, it might, but nobody nobody freaking drinks that here. So, anyways. Uh, Brewers have a move to make. Uh, Brent Suter is going to the bullpen. Wade Miley is going to make a start on Wednesday. And they need to clear space on the 40-man for Miley. So um, that infielder that they just picked up, I, that's who I'm thinking is going to go out. That's my guess. Tyler um, Saldino? Saldino, yeah. Because somebody has to go off the 40-man. And I know everybody wants Oliver Drake to be the guy to go, but I, you know, I don't see that as likely. Yeah. The bullpen's been, yeah. I'd assume it'll be Saldino. The only way that it might not be is if they view him as somebody they might want to call up if the infield struggles keep happening because he can play multiple positions. That's true. Um, They might keep him for that, but I think that ultimately I don't know who is going to get removed from the 40-man. I mean, is there a chance that Jimmy Nelson moves to the 60-day? He already has. Yeah, he's on the 60. So no? Okay. (laughs) Yeah, he's already there. (laughs) So you've got, uh, I mean, I think Brandon Woodruff is probably the guy who gets sent back to AAA. Oh, absolutely. I, Woodruff, yeah, because there's already now the long man in Suter to, to fulfill that role. I don't know. At that Which point, he was redundant. Oh, I mean, that's really what Suter, I think, is best suited to do as well. Sure. Right, it's a, it's a, that's a really nice role for him, being able to, to go multiple innings if there's there's need like if if there's a blowout whether the brewers are winning or whether or not the brewers are behind like he's somebody that can go out and get three innings and save the bullpen that's great oh, bring me those three inning saves i there are a few things i love in this world more than a three inning save you should pick you should pick him up in your dynasty league for save <laughs> speculation somebody already has him yeah shut up wow somebody is they'll, they'll, dude it's a 15 team league with 50 man rosters somebody has everybody I they'll guess. they'll drop they'll drop him now that he's moved to the bullpen. They won't they won't understand the save speculation like you would. Um yes. No, I've I'm speculating on saves all over the place. Carl Edwards Jr., that's my man in that league to to get saves by the end of the year. I think he's their their Josh Hader. I mean he could be. I don't know. Okay, anyway. We, we should we should have a we should have a weekly section to talk about Ryan's fantasy league though. Yeah, it is. <laughs> hey, I did not was, bring it up. That was you my, that brought was it up. Fault. It that was. was my fault. Yep. So, uh anyways, uh JP, what can we expect from Wade Miley? What are we going to see from him? Uh likely more strikeouts than Brent Suter, but more walks and more long balls. But kind of <laughs> the same? I don't know. I was going like, to say Yeah, I mean I was going to say like It's not on, exciting. No, and I think that you know, to, for the large amount of the the off season that we've been talking about the team, and even now, you know, back when we were discussing whether or not Alex Cobb should be on the team, whether or not you know it should be somebody like Lance Lynn or whomever, it was right now the the Brewers rotation is a bunch of guys with really large variances. They could be solid or they could be really bad. And Alex Cobb was one of those guys. Lance Lynn was one of those guys. And Wade Miley's one of those guys. So is Brent Suter. So is Brandon Woodruff. Like, it's just kind of more of the same. Um, I think there's a chance that he could maybe have a little bit more quote-unquote upside than Suter because he can legitimately miss bats where, where Suter can't really do that as well. But he's got a long history of a lot of walks. Um, and he has a, I think, a career uh, home run per nine, I think, of like 1.2 or something. And in in Miller Park, that doesn't necessarily play all that well, obviously. So it's I to me, I think he's actually just basically the same as Suter, just different. Yeah. Uh, um, how, how long a leash do you think, Ryan? How long a leash do you think Miley gets? He's going to get a long one because they guaranteed him, I believe, over two million dollars. I think it was like two point three five or something. I don't know. Is they, that a well, lot? They did that with Tommy Malone last year too, and that did they didn't care about that. Um, yeah, is that really huh. a lot? Was Malone guaranteed that much money? Yeah, that's why he signed the deal. Huh, okay. Well, I I guess that could be wrong then. I would just be surprised if he was a guy that they gave a couple starts to and he if he struggled, they were going to cut him loose. I think he's going to get time. Um, I don't know if it's going to be... We were talking a little bit about it before we started recording that maybe the All-Star break is kind of a you know drop-dead I mean, point where if he has... Does, a, you, does this mean they don't believe in Brandon Woodruff? 
I don't think so. I think they're just slow rolling it with Brandon Woodruff. But how much can you really slow roll it? Like, he's not learning anything in AAA anymore. He's not learning anything from coming up and pitching in the bullpen once every month. Like, at what point do you say you're 25, 26 years old? Like, figure like 23, out 24 right now? I have no idea. I made I, that up. I'm, <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think he's over. Old. I don't think he's over 24. Um, well, right, but how well, much it up. How much has the Junior Guerra uh, run here kind of put a, a little bit of a crimp in um, Woodruff getting a shot? Because, I mean, Guerra's been pitching really well. Yeah, absolutely. But then, uh, so he's 25. Brandon Woodruff is 25 years old. So okay. I wasn't too far off. Um, well, that's because you said like six numbers. You, as long as he's between like 22 <laughs> and 28, you had it. Look, look, I mean, I've, I think I've grown up watching so many like weather reports in the Midwest to understand <laughs> that you just need to give yourself a large, JP, large space. <laughs> JP has a three degree gu- or three year guarantee on his, uh, player age guesstimates. <laughs> what, what is it? That Bob Lindmeyer, is it like yeah, it was a three point? degree guarantee. And he was yeah, pissed. No, what, he was pissed every time he had to give away a, 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 an umbrella for missing that. Is that what it was? You gave up yeah. an umbrella. Um, but I think, but Junior Garrett is certainly one of the reasons that Brandon Woodruff is not there. But at the same time, I, I also don't think Brandon Woodruff is really that much different than Wade Miley either. And so they're still making a decision to go with somebody that multiple teams nobody would give a big league nobody would give a big league contract to in the first place no but you know you were you were talking about earlier when when they sign guys uh in camp coming in into spring training that they need to give those guys legitimate shots to be on the the major league roster if they want to make sure they keep that pipeline how much of this is just like Miley had that shot, he had the injury, and they still wanted to give him a chance so they don't kind of burn those bridges later on down the road when they need guys. Yeah, I think that's legit. I mean, and especially if he decided to stay on the roster in the first place, like, because basically they had to agree to a deal anyway. And that absolutely could be something that's happening behind the scenes. And in general, if you are a business and you want to be able to make sure that veterans know that they have a legitimate shot to make to make your roster and you're a, you know, quote unquote, an argue an organization of your word or whatever, if that's a thing. Um, I Yeah, absolutely. I could buy that. It's also why I actually think your uh, comment on G-Man Choi being the next person to come on up to, he might be somebody that they're looking at to say, you know, not not only because not only did they prevent him from going to another team by putting him on the big league roster basically for a day or two to just option him. Yeah, he was an opening they, day hero. Right. But they did that so they could basically just option him uh, and not give him up to another team when I th- I believe if he didn't make the opening day roster they would have had to cut him. Is that true? Not Ryan, sure. I'll let you answer Yeah, that. no, I don't, I don't remember the details of that. I think that, though, with this whole thing, Woodruff is being sent down because Woodruff can be sent down, whereas Miley can't. They had to keep – and we've talked about this over and over. It's a theme right, of the – Right, but Suter, Suter could be sent down, too. Suter could be sent down, but he more adequately fills – Well, didn't we talk about Suter as the clubhouse guy last week? I think they want well, Suter yes. more in the bullpen than they want Woodruff yeah. out there, which is right. Yes. I think that's very correct. I think that's the way yeah. you play that. and. I think this is, it's pretty, I think it's a simple situation where the only way for them to keep both Brandon Woodruff and Wade Miley is to have Wade Miley pitch in the big leagues because they can't stash him in AAA the same way they can stash Brandon Woodruff. So the reason I bring this up, and you're, I think you're right about, about Suter um, in terms of the bullpen fits him better. I do think that he's somebody that, that they want for the clubhouse, but I, and I am in no way saying that Brandon Woodruff is anywhere con- like comparable to Kevin Gaussman. But Gaussman, we absolutely railed against the Orioles for not giving Gaussman an actual chance. And saying that it ruined his development by sending him up, setting him down, not giving him a chance, deciding he was going to pitch in the bullpen for a while, sending him back to AAA, bringing him up for a start, sending him back to AAA. And that was deemed one of the reasons why he was not ever able to really, you know, not necessarily adjust but he wasn't able to develop in the big leagues. But now it's Brandon Woodruff, and we say, well, they can send him down. But at the at some point, you have to say, 
what da- what happens when you get to July, and then suddenly you've got Freddie Peralta, Corbin Burns, and Brandon Woodruff conceivably could be called up because they deserve a shot. Well, that could happen. Um, but I think the Gaussman thing is more the fact that that happened over the course of three or four years. Woodruff has been in this limbo, what? For two years. Between Would we even the big count leagues? last year? No. Is that? He came up and he got he went on the DL right away because he got hurt during warm-ups. Well, no, but that was also his first call-up. And uh, did he just get to AAA last yeah, season? Yeah, he did. He was just getting to AAA early last year. I he came saying, up at a reasonable time, mid-June. I mean, he was... This, did his time this would AAA. be the first limbo-ish period in his career, I'd say. I don't think last year is fair to and say. And we're a month into the season. He's not even like in limbo in any way, like a long in a long-term way. And he did he did pitch in the rotation at the end of last year. So, like, I mean, he he had that chance, and he was going to he had the chance early this year and struggled a bit with it and. So he's he's become the victim of the limbo situation for now, but I don't think that that necessarily is an indicator that's going to be a long term thing. It could be. Maybe he does get surpassed. Well, and you know we're also under the assumption that nobody gets hurt, hurt in the rotation, right? Which seems implausible. <laughs> I would imagine at some point somebody's going to go down, at least for a limited amount of time. Oh yeah, certainly. But then at the same time, like then do you put Brent Suter in because he's somebody that's been pitching in the big leagues and can easily make that that jump again, right? I mean, it's just if you I'm not suggesting that any of this has been like malicious, but at some point you have to be able to say is Brandon Woodruff going to be able to make it as a starter? Because by the time you're going to hit the summer, you've got other viable options who could potentially be better than him, whether it's via trade that you need to go out and get somebody, or you've got two or three arms in the, in the minors who are going to be making similar shouts that need an extended chance in the big leagues as well. And by that time, you need to know if Brandon Woodruff is that guy or not. Is he somebody that you need to make room for? And they just continuously for myself, don't, give him an opportunity to give him any answers whatsoever. And so at this point, yeah, maybe in July we're going to be saying, do we need to go out and trade for a starter? Do we need to go and get Brandon Woodruff? Do we need to go get Corbin Burns? Do we need to go get Freddie Peralta? Or is it time to give Brent Suter a shot? Or should we be waiting for Jimmy Nelson? And at some point you have to have the certainty to know whether or not Brandon Woodruff is a guy you can rely on going forward. I think that point is still in the future. It's it's approaching but it, it's in the future at this point. Right. I'm just saying that you would like to be able to know that prior to needing to make that decision in the future. It would be nice, but you know, maybe they go to a six man rotation at some point when they're in a, once the, the summer comes along and they, they create some extra space that way. Who knows? They've, they yeah. have a lot of different options. They can, a six man rotation and I man bullpen. Sure. And then, and, a. <laughs> A frequent Look, flyer Aaron club. I'm doing the math on it. And a yeah, frequent flyer I, club between and by the way, Colorado Aaron Springs. Perez has like a mid three fit. Deserves some <laughs> time in the bullpen too. <laughs> I mean, they're they're going to be running guys in and off, in and off, bleh, on and off the roster constantly. And Woodruff just happens to be at that fringe right now. So, like, that's his his current predicament. Okay, well, we're not going to solve this right now, so we're going to move on. Um, we have a Patreon question from Mitch Reichert, um, and he points out that the Brewers starters have been averaging around 23 or so batters per game, uh, no matter how well they're doing. Um, so I guess he's asking whether or not we think this will continue the rest of the season or they're going to start to raise the threshold before uh, for guys to get pulled out of the game. Um, I mean, are we seeing something that's just a matter of managing – Early season pitchers pitching in the cold, so let's not, you know. Push I think them. we we talked about this a little bit last week too, and I, I'm with JP on this because he was pointing out that a lot of it just had to do with effectiveness. It wasn't necessarily that the team wanted to get a pull a guy at a, at a given point and pull him early. There have been a few cases where they've, you know, maybe pulled a guy a little earlier than they needed to, but by and large, they've pulled guys when you know the either the pitch count dictated it where they were. They were really deep, or the situation dictated it, where they were they were in legitimate trouble and needed to you needed to go to the bullpen to get out of that that trouble. I mean, they've had a couple, you know, mid eighty pitch count guys that they've pulled that you didn't really feel like. Like I said, it's happened no, but occasionally, but mostly not. I think I if if there is one thing that I think is probably 
true for this. It's that once you get to the sixth inning or once you get to the kind of the, maybe if your pitch counts a little bit higher, the fifth inning, uh, the, the leash is very short. They're not going to give you, if they can, Craig Council's not going to give you a shot to implode, where I think for a long time, we used to say, like, let your starter have a chance to get out of it himself. Give him a shot. If he can get out of him, if he can get out of the situation himself, he can then move on, you know, and give you seven, potentially seven innings. But now it's as soon as the situation gets tough. If you're in the sixth inning and you give up a couple, a couple of base runners, regardless of how you pitched, you're out. Now, how, I think- how much of this is a function of um, they they keep playing close games? So, I mean, yeah. there, there's never yeah, a point yeah. where you can say, oh, you know, the starter put a couple guys on, but we're up by, you know, five runs. Let's see if he can get through it. Or, you yeah. know, it's a blowout the other way. You know, maybe he just kind of takes his lump so we can get through another inning. Yeah, the offense has yeah. not given them that cushion by and large. We, yeah. we did see a run of it when we were playing extremely bad teams for a while where the offense was giving them – some space to, to do that. But by and large, the offense has struggled so far. So yeah, I think that's, that's accurate. You'll yeah, probably see point. more of it as the offense gets going. Cause I think we all agree that the offense is likely to be more productive than what we've seen so far. I mean, do you think they're at some point they're going to want the starters starters to go deeper because they're going to want to pull back on how much they're using the bullpen? No, I would imagine so. Oh, huh? You two can fight this one out. Okay, um, go ahead. I think that if if there's a situation where they can let the starters go longer, I think that they would prefer that. I don't think it's something that they're going to push, but I, the question was, do you think that they would want to let their starters go longer? And I think that answer is, yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah, I, I can agree with that, that they do they want it. I don't know how much they're going to actively pursue it, though, because they're sort of operating on this 10-man bullpen thing right now where they you know rotate guys through and they can soak a lot of innings by in multiple inning appearances from you know various guys so i don't know that they're in like a dire need to do that i don't think that that's something they have to do i, I think they would like it i think that's true but i don't think it's something that they really are going to pursue at to the detriment of what we've been talking about which is getting through those middle innings and getting guys out as soon as there seems to be a trouble. I think we're going to, I think that's going to be more the rule than the exception. Unless of course, as we were talking about the offense has provided some cushion or the other way around where they're just in a kit, a case where there's already a big deficit. Well, it's, is life going to get a little bit easier for the bullpen now that Corey Knables is, I mean, he's going to face hitters on Monday, I think. Uh, I think he's throwing a bullpen in Cincinnati. He's already thrown one bullpen. He's going to throw another one in Cincinnati. Then he's going down for rehab. Right, but I think he's I think he's like actually facing like live simulated hitters on on Monday. Like he's not going down for for rehab, but like they're going to have somebody stand in the box so he can face hitters. Yeah, I don't know if they're actually going to take cuts off of him or what. Well, no, but I mean, it's still it's another step forward where you're trying to simulate closer and closer to game situations so you can send him down for rehab. So if you can get Corey Knable back, I mean. And this is not, you know, I guess this is kind of off the wall, but is Corey Knable going to come back? And is he just going to, you're just going to say, okay, yeah, go pitch the ninth inning now. I think so like, still. Man, you, I think that they might try to get by with what they're doing now to make sure that Corey Knable, if he comes back and is absolutely dominant after a few outings, maybe they go back to it. But with how good the bullpen has been and the way that it's currently run, do you change it? I think that you can, you can, because they've been so flexible with using guys in the ninth inning, how many different guys have we seen pitch and save situations in the ninth inning? Four. Wait, guys. but hold on a second. No, because JJ Hoover's even done it so lot. But does <laughs> but does Knable mess that up if he's only coming out in the ninth? Because part of that flexibility yeah. is all these guys have been able to come out in different situations. Absolutely. If all of a sudden you have Corey Knable who can only come out in the ninth inning in a safe situation because he's the capital C closer. Does that start to mess with their ability to run the bullpen as effectively as they have? I don't think so, as long as Corey Knable is extremely effective, which he had been uh, all last year. And I mean, he got off to a rough start this year. Obviously, they're, you know, put up some some earned runs early. But but that's what I'm saying, though, right? Do you wait to find out? Do you give Corey Knable 
five, six outings in middle innings to see how good he is before you decide to be able to make that move again? Do you treat him like you've treated, say, Taylor Williams to find out how dominant he is before you make that? Because otherwise you're you're saying, yeah, it doesn't mess it up if he's as good as he had been. But at, if you're going to just slot him into the ninth inning, then you potentially mess it up without having any idea how, how effective he's going to be. Um, I think they'll get a gauge for that based on how he pitches in, in AAA, like how, what's his location, what's the stuff look like, all that stuff. How does his, you know, you'll get a, they'll get a feel for that before they see him face big league pitchers. So I think they'll get a, a, a gauge of that. Maybe they ease him back in. I, that wouldn't shock me if they decided to say, hey, Corey, we're going to, for right now, we're going to keep you, you know, in this rotation of guys. You're going to be pitching in, in high leverage situations, but not necessarily the ninth. If they decided to do that, uh, that wouldn't surprise me at all. But what they should do is they should get a couple good outings from them and then trade them at the trade deadline because they obviously don't need them anymore. But other teams are going to want a closer. Ruthless. Tra- trade your- him while trade him while his value is high, Ryan. You always say that's his. Exactly. That's high. the uh, yeah. That's the the well. That's the the Steve doesn't care about relievers thing. This has really been a tough adjustment for you, hasn't it, Ben? But that's, oh, but that's what are you also- talking about? Hold on a second. Hold, hold, hold on a second. <laughs> for the longest time, I have been talking about ways to stretch out relievers and get more innings out of them, and you poo-pooed that. That is true. I, I did poo-poo. You have poo-pooed for a long time. I did. And this season, it has been extremely effective for the Brewers. It has been. And, they're, it, and like JP talked about earlier, part of that is they... They've, no, no, no. They've built no, no, it no, up no, no, to no. this not, point. Not JP. Talk about how right I was about this. <laughs> do you really Wait, need that so ego stroking ca- so badly? Do like, you care about relievers now? Yeah, that's yeah, Steve. Do you care about relievers now? I do care you think about. I care about. I, I care about. I care about being right. <laughs> no, that's I, not, I was right. No, don't Mike Pence this answer and decide to answer <laughs> something else than what we give. Oh, answer somebody's getting question. muted. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you're in his you're you're in his home state there, so uh, don't get too cocky. I know that's what we're hoping for. Why we're going to get help for the flood that we had here, since maybe they're going to like us. Okay, um, yeah. So, anyways, it'll be interesting to see what they do with Knebel when he gets back. Since, I mean, things have been going all right, but they could always use. We've been talking about the usage that they've had. They're going to need more arms. Knebel's going to add another arm. You could never have too many good bullpen arms. Like, there's no limit to like, oh, well, now we have too many. No. There's no limit to how many good bullpen arms. Well, there is because you have so many roster spots, but but AAA exists, so it does. Um, let's I look see. forward to the time when Ryan says, "Well, Corey Knebel might need to get sent down because we just need to pack the guys <laughs> around a little bit." I do think he technically can be. I'm not sure. Probably, yeah. I think Knebel uh, probably has uh, at least an option left. Um, that okay. would go over poorly. Yes. It would not go over well. I don't think the team would do it. Um, okay, Brett Valentine asks, are there any metrics to assess or account for wins attributed to managers? Uh, something that accounts for roster talent level, or is it just a matter of the will to win? Um, BP has been doing some different things with tracking manager, uh, manager decisions for a while now. Uh, how often they choose to bunt, how often they choose to hit and run. Um, what their their general uh, pitcher abuse points is a thing that they tracked. So. Wait, so for the bunts and hit and runs, is it just they did it and they get docked a point, or is it success, no, just, success in those situations? They just track how often those things have been called for by the various managers, so you can compare them to each other and go, he's oh. very bunty, he's not very bunty. But you know? it's it's... It's not weighing it as a positive or negative. It's just a fact. I don't think, yeah, I don't think they try to actually like go, you know, to assess some sort of wins above replacement for managers. What is so funny? (laughs) (laughs) You're going to have to go back through the uh, messages. Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Uh, But I don't, to answer the question, no. Uh, It was nothing about you, Ryan. Don't worry. Um, But I think. There is nothing right now to be able to accurately to accurately assess analytically how much managers influence wins and losses. I mean, and this is for two reasons. Number one, um, you can't. It, it's like pitcher wins. There are just so much is put into it. How much can you actually ac- accurately assess what happens on the field? is influenced by the manager uh you can't necessarily know if bunts were called uh, by the the hitter themselves or whether it was called by the manager same thing with stolen bases 
So it's just very difficult to be able to assess what is the manager's fault and what is not the manager's fault. But the other thing is the vast majority of the the manager's influence comes not on the field whatsoever. And we don't necessarily see that. And it's why so many, you know, both the players, both David Stearns, and uh, a lot of the, the press that cover the Brewers day-to-day just say that Craig Council is a wonderful communicator. And it's something that he makes the players feel comfortable. He, he is able to keep lines of communication open. He's a good developer of young talent. And we're never going to have a number to say how well that, that plays. Uh, you know, I think we'll just have to get kind of comfortable with in more of a nondescript, like do we think managers are good or like specific managers are good or not. Um, I think there are very more and more we're seeing managers improve. I think that that's not really a controversial statement. I think we're seeing front offices get smarter in who they hire. Um, you know, the Mar- maybe not the Marlins, but that that'll happen. And <laughs> but Jeter's well, using I mean, two iPads at once. They have to be running efficiently. <laughs> But you see, you see so many teams go out and get the manager that they want, that, they, that they're going to target a long-term manager. Now, that's why I was a little bit confused on why the Reds did what they did. I thought that they, were, they went and just got Jim Riggleman. Um, I thought that they were going to really target somebody that they thought could be a manager for a long period of time. Well, I thought that that was – Riggleman's an interim manager. He, does, he doesn't have a, a full-time gig with them. Oh, he hasn't been named full time. No, is, I think is he, it just interim. I, I thought he was tagged as interim. They said oh, he will be. he will be there through the end of the season. Was what they said. Okay, this isn't a Craig Council so, situation where they, this this can't get worse, so he won't get fired. Well, Jim Riggleman is the that is his it, role it, in life. It, yes, it, just be here. Well, no, he I think he's been an interim manager like four times or something. Yeah. Like he does that all the time. Yeah, so it's a well, good job if you can get it. Well, that was the joke somebody made on some podcast I listened to where somebody was like, Yeah, if you know if you see Jim Riggleman has been hired as your bench coach, <laughs> you better be worried because <laughs> that means the axe is coming for you. <laughs> yeah. So it is interesting with managers. I think a lot of it more it's a matter of executing what the front office wants to see as far as running the team on the field. Yeah, and there's bad if, if that lines up, the front office is, you know comfortable with who the manager is and what they're doing as long as the clubhouse is good it's why joe girardi's gone Mm -hmm. well manager i mean he yeah he didn't line up with what brian cashman wanted and managers have been specifically brought in with the expectation now and being guys are being hired with the expectation that you are going to take orders on things that your predecessors would not have taken orders on or how was you know not willing to let Billy Bean write out his lineups, essentially. You know, that's not the way the game works anymore. Like, that's things have changed. Yeah, there's a closer working relationship there. So, well, and the expectations just of when the guy gets the job, they expect that that's part of what the deal is. They don't expect to have that autonomy anymore. Yeah, they don't go into it believing that that's what they're their a part role of the front. They they're get. a part of the front office. They're not a part of the team anymore. And yes. I mean, they they still have to manage the team. They're still close to the team. Everything like that. But they are a part of the front office. So, um, anyways, that's going to do it for this week's show. Uh, you can join our Patreon by visiting Patreon.com/slash/mke-tailgate. Patrons at the ball and glove level will receive the monthly minor league extra podcast, and that's coming up uh, next week. Yes, we already mentioned that. Yes, we did. And I'm I'm talking about it again. Get your questions. Get your questions in. Um, I think if you get in by the end of this month, everything will check out for getting the podcast. I think as soon as you subscribe, you you get the entire archive. And I think we have three episodes in at this point. Yeah. So uh, what do you think you guys will talk about? Oh, I have a feeling that uh, Mr. Corey Ray is going to come up. I have a feeling that's going to be in there. Yeah. We're going to talk about actual baseball games, which will be great. Yes, there there have been actual results and things to to speak of on that front. Yeah, and somebody I, sent in a question that was on the rundown here that w- I will definitely use for the. Uh, was that Jay asked a question? Yeah, I think we'll we'll definitely. I would imagine Cody Medeiros will come up. Uh, Corbin Burns, Freddie Peralta will come up. We'll be talking most likely about guys like Corey Ray, Lucas Ursig. Uh, and then some of the struggles down for the Timber Rattlers. Guys like Tristan Lutz hasn't been, you know, starting off in the way that people would like. Keston Hira kind of started a little bit slowly, but he's been picking it up. So those are, I'm imagining, if uh, if those questions will kind of lead us to be able to those, to have those kinds of discussions. Uh, it'll be a good chat. We'll kind of break down as much as we can. So in other words, if you just heard that and you want to ensure that your question will get asked, go ahead and just 
find one of those topics or talking points that we just mentioned and send that on in and then you get credit for it. Exactly. No, so. you should ask about something like who's the, who's going to be the roster in the Dominican Summer League and really make us just <laughs> just dig into it. Yeah, that's that's something that uh, you can handle, and I will I will <laughs> ask the question. <laughs> yeah, because JP's got a ton of time right now. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly what this is. Nothing about. going on at the end of the semester, right? So, anyways, uh, follow us on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. You can also submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and in the Google Play Store. You can leave reviews, uh, make JP feel a little bit better uh, by leaving those positive reviews, five stars, and help people find the podcast. So thanks for listening, and look for us again next week. Next, Look for us again next week. Look for who next week? Well, you're yeah. spoiling it. Well, it's a spoiler alert. I won't be here next week. So look for JP and uh, Ryan next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate. Bad.